Um, I'm Pete Stearns, and I am our middle school pastor here, and I get the joy of hanging out on Saturday nights um, in this congregation. Before we go any farther, and before we dig into this story of water, this story of forgiveness, this story of redemption, let us first enter into prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we invite you into this place. Lord, again, we come before you humbled. Lord, we've come before you thirsty, dehydrated, in fact. And Lord, we just pray that you would overwhelm us with your living water. Lord, let us sit before you for a moment and think about the status of our soul. Lord, to think about our exhaustion, our dissatisfaction, and Lord, our dark places. Lord, now let us enter into your presence, prepared to be refreshed, invigorated, and made anew. In your name, amen. Now, as we saw in this passage, or as we saw in this video, um, it comes from a familiar passage in John 4. Uh, And it's a pretty long story, and so I want to just kind of paraphrase it for us together, and, and then take some time to dig a little bit deeper into a few particular verses. Now, Jesus and his disciples are heading along the road towards Galilee. And it's a long journey, and it's through a desertous place, and so we assume that they're starting to get tired, they are getting thirsty, and they are getting hungry. Um, And as many of us know, Jesus and his disciples rarely carry with them anything. And so Jesus sends off his disciples into a nearby town and says, go and look for something for us to eat and for something for us to drink. And Jesus is left by himself without a water bucket, without a bite to eat, to rest. And so he meanders over to this well and he sits down. And he sits there for a moment and a woman begins to approach. And it's not just any woman, it's a Samaritan woman. And as we saw in this video, Samaritan women were seen as dirty by the Jews. You see, the Samaritans and the Jews didn't quite relate with each other culturally. They didn't relate with each other spiritually. And the Jews held a very, very low picture of who they were. And so this woman comes up, probably ducking her head, avoiding conversation. And Jesus looks at her and says, Would you give me something to drink? And the woman's startled because why is this Jewish man addressing me, a Samaritan? And she she asks him, well, why would you ask me a question like this? And Jesus says, truly, if you knew who I was, you would be asking me for a drink of water. And she points out the obvious and says, well, you don't even have a bucket. How would you possibly get water from this very deep well? And Jesus nods his head and says... The water from this well quenches our thirst, satisfies our thirst only for a short time. 
The water that I am offering you is living and will completely satisfy your soul. It will continue to bubble up and refresh you from the inside out. And the woman looks at him and says, well, I might as well give it a shot. There's nothing to lose here. And she says, well, then give me some of this water. And Jesus kind of changes his tone for a second. He says, why don't you go home and uh, get your husband? And the woman pauses and says, well, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, I know you have five husbands, none of whom you are married to. Suddenly, the woman is probably filled with shame and doubt and guilt, wondering what will come next. And so she asks him, you must be a prophet. How can you know these things? And they begin to talk about what it means for the Messiah to come to earth. They begin to talk about what it means that salvation in this living water has been opened up, not just to the Jews, but also to the Samaritans. That anyone that comes to this water is welcome to drink. Anyone that comes to this well is going to be given refreshment. And as the disciples return, the woman gets up and it says she leaves her bucket at the well and runs home and tells her entire town. And many Samaritans become followers of Christ that day. Now, I think it's very interesting that Jesus juxtaposes physical water with spiritual water here. And I don't think it was done by accident. I think that this picture of spiritual water is very intentional. In fact, it's one that is repeated throughout Scripture. It wasn't just a handy object lesson because he was at a well. No, Jesus chose that well very specifically. He chose that woman very specifically because he recognizes that water is something that cannot be lived without. We talked about a few weeks ago when Jesus went 40 days without food. But you cannot go 40 days without water. You see, water sustains us. Water brings us life. And Jesus has chosen it very particularly. And on top of the obvious use of water to quench our thirst, water also invigorates and it cleanses and makes anew. And so similarly, I want to talk a little bit about these three restorative properties of water and what that means in this story and why Jesus has chosen to talk about this water. Later on in John chapter 7, Jesus indicates to us that this water is more than just water. He says the same thing to his disciples. He says, I'm offering you living water that will continually refresh. And he explains that this water is the Holy Spirit that comes after me. Why does Jesus choose water to explain his spirit indwelling within us? In 2011, I decided I was crazy and was going to run the Chicago Marathon. I began training early on. Um, I started training early in the spring. Yes, this is me. This is going to be the last time I smiled during that race. That was pretty early on. And so I started training. I started preparing and, and going on long runs. And when I got to the start line, I was ready. I was excited. 
I was prepared to run this race. I had my water belt with me. I had my game plan. My brother had coached me through the strategies of how to avoid slipping on banana peels that were thrown behind. And and I was ready to go. And at about mile 13, which is right here, I was feeling good. I was feeling prepared. But something strange was happening. It was starting to get increasingly hot. And by about mile 16, it was 85 degrees out. And I was starting to feel the tolls of exhaustion and dehydration. And so I tried to take a sip from my water bottle. And I had this gut-sinking feeling that I was too late. I had gotten too far behind. I was too dehydrated. And so slowly over the next few miles, my body began to break down. And at about mile 17, my muscles started cramping and, and they, they, they were seizing up on me, making it hard to even take steps forward. Mile 18, I had a searing headache. Mile 19, my throat was dry and it hurt to swallow. And by mile 24, my vision was blurry. And so I stumbled along, continuing, trying to make it to the finish line. And at mile 25, I sat down on the curb. I, I kind of threw the towel in and I sat down and I fought off the temptation to just fall asleep right there. I figured, you know, it's not going to be a big deal. I'll take a quick nap. I'll get up. I'll keep running. I'll be good. And, and I, I realized that I was probably going to be putting myself in danger. And I, I recognized that if I just made it to the finish line, I would be able to talk with the people that could give me the water that I needed, the nutrition that I needed, and help me kind of rebound. And so I got up and I staggered one last mile up the little hill there to the finish line. And when I crossed the finish line, I was absolutely exhausted. And immediately marathon workers surrounded me and handed me water bottles and uh, Gatorade. I don't even want to know what I looked like. They wrapped me in a blanket. I was just in a bad way. But interestingly enough, as I started to drink the Gatorade, as I rested for a moment, my vision started to clear up and my headaches started to go away. And my muscles, although they were sore, stopped cramping. And my headache stopped pounding, and I began to look more and more like the guy that started out at mile one. You see, it would have been silly for me to try to address each of those symptoms separately. You see, when my muscles started cramping, I could have quickly looked for crutches or a wheelchair or something that would help ease the burden when my vision started to go, I could have taken a pair of glasses from one of the spectators. I could have filled myself up with ibuprofen to mask the pain of my headache. But the reality was is that each and every one of those things would only prolong the symptoms. Because the reality was that the root of the problem was not that my vision was going bad. The root of the problem was not that my legs were giving out. The root of the problem was not a pounding headache. It was instead a lack of water. And so I became incredibly thirsty. And so the question becomes for us, what does spiritual thirst look like? We recognize that water, at its very core, can bring new life, can refresh can take something that is not working, something that is breaking down, 
and reinvigorate it. But what does spiritual thirst look like in us? I'm not sure if this applies across the board, but I know that in myself, spiritual thirst or a soul that is dehydrated is a soul that is dissatisfied. Dissatisfied with my relationships, dissatisfied with my salary, dissatisfied with my coworkers. But oftentimes I think I address and I think many of us address each of these symptoms as if it was totally separate from the other. Take dissatisfaction with the amount of money we have, for example. How many of us have felt that if I only had a little bit more money, if I only had a small raise, certainly it would be much easier to live life. If I just had a teeny raise, then certainly I would find that life would become easier to live. Rent would be easier to pay. I could go out to eat more often. I could buy the clothing that I wanted. And so we get a raise and turns out that it works for six months, maybe a year. And then again, we are back in the same spot. Again, we are dissatisfied and thirsty and looking for something more. You see, we have isolated this dissatisfaction from our thirst and we have attempted, like Jesus talks about in John 4, to draw water from a well that doesn't continually satisfy. Maybe we carry resentment in our lives. I know it's so easy to resent a family member or a spouse or a parent, a close friend. Something's not quite right in our relationship. And and surely if they could fix this or just tweak that, things would be better. I would be satisfied. If my spouse would just understand how much pressure I am under at work, if my spouse would just offer me a little bit more respect, if they would just acknowledge what I've done for them, then surely I'll be satisfied. And so we confront them and oftentimes in the midst of our hurt and pain, they, they make that tweak and turns out three weeks later, there's another tweak that they need to make. And the reality is, is that this is not a symptom of a relationship that's having problems. This is a symptom of a soul that is dehydrated. It happens at work. We're frustrated with a boss or a coworker that doesn't appreciate the work we do or is arrogant and refuses to work as a team. And we assume that if they would just straighten things out, then I would be satisfied here at work. But the reality is, unless we turn to this living water, we will be left unsatisfied. And a lot of us ask, okay, so where is that living water? Where does that living water come from? And, and many of us are familiar with Galatians five twenty-two through 23, the fruits of the spirit. And we said before that in John chapter seven, they talk about how this living water is actually the spirit indwelling. So a place to start, I think, is the fruits of the spirit. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. 
What if instead of seeking out money to fill our desires for greed and to fill our satisfaction, instead we reached out for joy, peace, and thanksgiving, recognizing that if we can appreciate and be thankful for the things that we have, maybe our soul will begin to be refreshed. Instead of looking to our spouse or loved one to fix the problem of resentment, the dissatisfaction of resentment, what if we approached them in love, gentleness, and grace, offering to them the same mercy that has been shown to us countless times? Would that small tweak change how we saw that relationship? Would it change how we were satisfied? What if at work when we were frustrated with our coworkers, instead of assuming that they needed to change, we offered them patience. We offered them kindness and we offered them humility. Recognizing that a soul that is nourished, a soul that is living, focused on this indwelling spirit is a soul that is refreshed and a soul that is satisfied. Let's look at John chapter 4 verses 13 through 14. John chapter 4, 13 through 14, Jesus is talking to the woman at the well and, and he's explaining to her a little bit about this water that he offers. Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Jesus recognizes that so often we we treat the symptoms of spiritual thirst and spiritual dehydration by reaching out to physical wells that can only satisfy for a short period of time. And he encourages us to turn to his spirit to carry us through. Water in its most basic form refreshes and brings life. But water also invigorates Water also makes things wake up. It makes us startled and shocked back to life. In fact, a few years ago, my wife and I were hiking in the Cascade Mountain Range, which is a mountain range near my hometown in Seattle. Um, And it was, again, a very warm day. But we had packed the right amount of water with us, and we were going on this hike. It was just a few miles long, but the sun was beating down on us. It was incredibly hot. It must have been in the mid-90s. And of course, we didn't have the right sunblock or anything like that. And our skin was just getting fried. And if you've ever been out in the sun for a really, really long time, you know that your muscles start feeling weak and you just have this overwhelming sense of exhaustion flood over you. And so when we got to the top of the mountain... I remember being so excited knowing that we were going to be at a lake. And at the top of this mountain, there was a gorgeous lake. And I don't even think I hesitated. I just sprinted straight in and dove into the water. And let me tell you, it was freezing. It was painfully cold. The coldest water I've ever been in because I I didn't know this, but the water was fed by a glacier. In the mountains. And so this water, maybe 45 degrees. It was so cold. And the second I went in, my entire body froze up and I turned around and I shuffled out of the water, um, probably screaming the whole way. I was freezing cold. 
But after a moment, I realized that my skin had been soothed, that it was no longer burning and itching, that my muscles that had become lethargic were now springy again, that the sweat that was drenched over me was gone, and that I was ready to take on the rest of the hike. I was ready to hike back down the mountain. Living water has the ability to invigorate us. It has the ability to awaken a soul that is exhausted. A soul that is overwhelmed by the pressure of stress beating down on it. Yet rarely do I turn to God's living water in those times. I'll admit it, I... I'm a person that carries a, a fairly large amount of stress. I sometimes get a little bit too overwhelmed by small details or big crowds. And I start to kind of feel that pressure bearing down on me. And when I finally reach my breaking point, what do I do? I sit on the couch and I watch ESPN. And if I don't have a TV available to me, I am surely pulling out my iPad or my iPhone to peruse the most recent stories. And it works. For the 30 minutes or hour or who are we kidding, couple hours that I'm watching, I find that that stress is gone. But as soon as I flip off that TV, as soon as I put that phone back into my pocket, the weight of that pressure and stress floods right back over me. I find it interesting that oftentimes turning to God and being immersed in his presence is the first thing to go in times of exhaustion and stress. And if you're like me after a long day where you're tired, you've been trying to read your Bible daily, but I'm just too exhausted tonight. I need to go to bed. It's been an incredibly long week with a lot of late nights. And, you know, this weekend, I think I'm just going to rest. I'm not sure I'm going to make it to church on Saturday or Sunday morning. It was a long day at work. I had a rough conversation with a coworker, And I don't, I don't know if I feel up to going to our small group tonight. I think it would just be a little too overwhelming. The reality is, is that we are turning again to wells that cannot invigorate us, to water that can only temporarily satisfy our exhaustion. And that just like this freezing cold lake on the top of the mountain, sometimes when we plunge into the water of Christ, it hurts and it stings and it doesn't come naturally and we want to get out quick. But I don't know about you, any time that I have been in a hard place and been forced by a spouse or a friend to head to a worship service, I've left that place feeling renewed, feeling refreshed, feeling invigorated and excited again. Whenever I've sat down and read scripture in the midst of my exhaustion, I've left those pages feeling ready to truly rest. Anytime I've separated myself from my stress and my anxiety and gone for a walk and spent time praying with God, I have come back 
ready to face the next challenge. God's water is refreshing. It meets our needs. It quenches our thirst. But God's water is invigorating. And it can awaken our soul in a powerful way. And so when we are feeling burdened and wiped out, instead of turning to extravagant vacations or ESPN, what would it look like if we immersed ourselves in those times in our church community? Immersed ourselves in scripture, immersed ourselves in prayer and worship. How might that change how our soul is feeling? How might that rejuvenate us and make us new? So water can refresh, it can satisfy thirst, it can invigorate and awaken us. But water also can cleanse and make us anew. I'm going to go back to John chapter 4. Uh, we're going to look at 15 through 18 this time. And, and Jesus has just offered this woman this living water. And, and he is starting to address a little bit of the sin in her life. And so here's what he says to her. Or the woman says, please, sir. The woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again. And I won't have to come here to get water. Seems simple enough. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband. For you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you are living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Now, it's interesting the way that Jesus handles this situation. Because Jesus has offered her the living water, knowing fully the sin in her life. First off, he knew she was a Samaritan, and so he knew that uh, religiously she didn't follow after the same patterns as the Jews. That culturally, her life was stained with sin. And on top of that, even from a Samaritan perspective, she was darkened by sin. This is a woman that has no right to be having a conversation with Jesus. But he doesn't respond in shock. He doesn't respond and tell her that she is condemned for her sins. He doesn't tell her to leave and change everything that she's doing. Instead, after this moment of recognition of her sin, he continues to tell her about how he is the Messiah. And that he has come to bring living water, not just to the Jews, but to women like her. And he tells her to go and tell her friends and family. Because Jesus recognizes that water can satisfy, water can invigorate, but water can also cleanse. And he sees what's under this dirty, sinful woman. He sees the creation that she was made to be. Now, A couple days ago, I was reading a book called Harry the Dirty Dog. Um, Actually, I'm going to be honest. I was watching a YouTube video of Betty White reading Harry the Dirty Dog. Uh, Very good. You should check it out. But Harry is this white dog with black spots. And Harry hates taking baths. Okay? 
And so on bath day, Harry decides that he's going to take his sponge and he's going to hide it in a hole. He's going to dig a hole and hide it. And then he's going to run away for the rest of the day. And the story goes on to talk about all the tales of, of Harry's adventures. And he goes and he digs up bones in construction yards and he dives into mud puddles. And he comes back at the end of the day exhausted and filthy. And he runs up to the porch and his owners open the door and say, where is Harry? And who is this strange dog? Because Harry is now a black dog with white spots. And so Harry panics a little bit and he starts to do some of the old tricks that he had done before. He starts jumping around, rolling over, sitting, laying, trying to remind his owners that surely they must remember who he is. They don't and they shut the door and they leave him outside. Harry paws at the door again and and barks and he stays there for a while until finally the owner opens the door wondering if the real Harry has come back. And the dirty dog sprints into the house. I'm sure that the family was running after it screaming. He was getting the new white carpets dirty and he runs upstairs and dives into the bathtub. And suddenly the family recognizes who he really is. Suddenly, the family sees that this is Harry. That this is their beloved white dog with black spots. We laugh at this. It seems funny, but I think so often we identify ourselves and others around us by the dirt that we wear on our coat. We identify people by their sin. We identify ourselves by our sin. We're afraid to share our darkest moments with those that we love the most for fear that they might see us as something that we are not. We assume that if we pile on enough good things that 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 will be brushed under the carpet and it will go away. When we address communities of people that have been caught into sin, oftentimes we don't trust that God's living water actually has the power to cleanse. We assume that their dirt or maybe our dirt is too much. There's no way. But as Jesus with this woman at the well recognizes is there is a way. Jesus recognizes this woman before she is washed, before she is cleansed as someone deserving of living water. And he offers it to her freely, recognizing that first off, it's going to refresh her soul. Second off, it's going to invigorate her soul. And finally, it is going to begin to cleanse her soul. How often has the church in general belittled sinners? And told them that they are too dirty for this water. Recently, we've done it with the gay community. We've said that your life is too filled with sin. You are too covered in darkness. God can no longer recognize you for who you are. And I don't trust that this water can really cleanse you. 
We've done it with our sons and daughters that have come home and shared with us that they've fallen into a party lifestyle. Suddenly they're identified by their darkness. They're identified by their dirt. Like I said before, we've done it in our own hearts. And instead of seeking out forgiveness, instead of seeking out this cleaning water, we bury it in our souls. And we're okay with carrying the dirt with us. In 2001, the AIDS endemic had reached kind of a critical mass in Africa. It was literally killing off the entire population of the continent. And World Vision sent out a survey, World Vision, a world relief organization, sent out a survey amongst church leaders and congregants asking, would they be willing to donate money to help children who had lost both of their parents due to AIDS? Basically, AIDS was leaving hundreds of thousands of children homeless and orphaned without water and without basic necessities. 5% said they would. 5% of those Christian evangelical church leaders said they would be willing to offer support to children that were being affected by a disease that oftentimes seemed dirty. The church didn't believe that God's water can bring cleanliness. Even more striking, 50% said they absolutely would not. 50% said, I wouldn't even think about it. World Vision and other organizations still went forward with it. And now millions of orphans have found homes. Millions of orphans are drinking physical clean water. Millions of orphans are in schools and pursuing a future and are living healthy lives because of the nutrition and medical care that they have received. Do we believe that this water, that Jesus Christ is offering this woman at the well, this dirty, broken, sinful woman at the well, do we believe in our hearts that it actually has the power to cleanse? Or do we assume that there are certain people and certain sins that are just too muddy? As we leave today, let us think about three things. First, where is my soul dehydrated? Where am I dissatisfied in my life? And what are the earthly wells that I am turning to for temporary satisfaction? Second, when I find myself stressed and exhausted, when I find myself overwhelmed... Where do I turn to be invigorated? And third, when I think about my sin or the sins of those that I love or the sins of strangers that I've never met, do I truly believe that this water 
has the ability to cleanse. As we examine those things, let us pray that God might enter into that space. That his living water might flow up within us. That it might be a well that is bubbling over in our souls. And giving us the refreshment, the invigoration, and the cleanliness that we need. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we confess that oftentimes, Lord, we turn to earthly wells. We turn to water that we know will leave us thirsty again. Lord, we pray that you would overwhelm us by your living water. That, Lord, when we're tempted to turn to these earthly wells, that instead we would turn and and invest in your spirit dwelling within us. Lord, we are thirsty. We are thirsty for more of you. Overwhelm us with your living water. In your name, amen.